is over. You're on. Two legends, one career, one incredible winning streak on the line. 17 men have stepped up. And 17 men have been set down. Shawn Michaels, you almost broke the streak, but you failed. Undertaker, nothing lasts forever. Nothing in a WrestleMania is going to be an image of the Heartbreak Kid ending your undefeated streak. Shawn Michaels' obsession will cause him to pay the ultimate price. The ultimate price of defeat will be the end of HBK's storied career. This has been my life for over 25 years. You think that I'd risk everything if I didn't know I could beat you? The most anticipated match in the history of WrestleMania. I will open up the gates of hell and I will unleash a fury that no mortal man has ever seen to make sure your career is over. If I can't beat you, I have no career. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to WrestleMania Salvation. My name is Sal. I am your host. And this is the show where we go back and we take a look at WrestleMania in review. Now, today on the podcast, we are taking a look at one of the WrestleManias that started a downward trend for WrestleMania. The late... 2000s and early 2010s this year's wrestlemania wrestlemania 26 is brought to you live from phoenix arizona at the university of phoenix stadium the date was march 28 2010 and the attendance claimed was 72,219. the tagline for this wrestlemania was get all fired up And we will. We're going to get all fired up talking about this WrestleMania. But first, I'd like to thank my co-host and my guest on my last episode of WrestleMania Salvation. Jason was here and we discussed WrestleMania 25. I had a blast. We talked for almost three hours. Hopefully tonight, I don't spend that much time talking about this WrestleMania. Justin Roberts, one of my favorite ring announcers, welcomes us to WrestleMania. And we get a flyover that was blatantly recorded earlier in the day. How do I know that it was recorded earlier in the day? Because the video was taken outside the stadium. And the parking lot was pretty empty. We are then introduced to American Idol winner Fantasia! She will be singing America the Beautiful, although she is pretty irrelevant at this point. In 2010. I think she won Idol like seven years before this. She does a decent job with America the Beautiful. We then get an epic video package describing everyone chasing their WrestleMania moment. Side note, I love the voiceover guy they get for this. I feel like it's the same guy from the movie trailers. You know, you half expect him to say, In a world... WrestleMania happens once a year. Anyways, good stuff. We get a shit ton of pyro. 
to welcome us to the entertainment spectacle of the wrestling world. That's what Michael Cole called it. And we begin with match number one, the WWE Unified Tag Team Championship. R-Truth and John Morrison, I guess that was the team, versus Show Miz. R-Truth wraps his way down to the ring exactly the same way he still does on SmackDown almost 10 years later. He, of course, asked WrestleMania, What's up? Then out comes John Morrison, and we get his sweet-ass slow-mo entrance. For no fucking reason, but I used to love... I was a big mark for the slow-mo entrance for Morrison. Uh, as Morrison makes his way to the ring, we go to our commentators for the evening. Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and Matt Stryker. I hate you. I hate you. Stryker withstanding. When Show Miz makes their way to the ring, it becomes apparent that Miz is also the U.S. champ. Good to know that title will also not be defended here tonight. Also, it's worth noting, for anybody who doesn't know, or maybe they forgot on purpose, the Miz and Morrison were tag team champs less than a year ago. And here they are on opposite sides of the ring. Shame. Shame! Speaking of Miz and Morrison, they start things off. Both Miz and Truth showcase their athleticism until Big Show tags himself in, beats the fucking bag out of our truth Show Miz, then get a ton of heat on Morrison. Miz tags in Show, and while on the apron, Show punches Morrison in the face. Show then pins him. Wait, what? No hope spot. No hot tag. Your winner retaining the belts. Show Miz. That was fucking pointless. We then go to a Sights and Sounds of Mania Week video. Tons of highlights from Access, uh, a WrestleMania art show, a WWE golf tournament. Fun stuff. Speaking of fun stuff, match number two. We're rolling right along here. It is a triple threat match. Ted DiBiase Jr. versus Cody Rhodes versus Randy Orton. Legacy explodes! Okay, not really. But the weirdest part of this is the fact that Randy fucking Orton is the babyface in this match. Epic fail, WWE. You had Rhodes or DiBiase. You could have had any one of them break away from Legacy and be the underdog babyface. And instead, DiBiase and Rhodes have made it quite clear leading into this match that this will essentially be a handicap match. And that is exactly what ends up happening to start. Uh, The crowd boos relentlessly because the double-team beatdown on Orton lasts for over five minutes. It's as boring as it sounds. Finally, Cody gets pissed at DiBiase trying to sneak a pinfall, and now we get to an actual triple threat match. With Ted and Cody slugging it out, 
Orton then seizes the advantage. We get a double Hangman's DDT on both guys, which then allows Randy to set up for the punt. Orton then punts Cody so hard, he quits the company and starts his own. Oh, okay, not not really, but kind of. Uh, DiBiase then sneaks up behind Orton to lock him in the Million Dollar Dream. Orton escapes and hits DiBiase Jr. with an RKO for the win. Your winner, because he needed it, Randy fucking Orton. You know, you can tell... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can tell that Randy Orton really did learn from Triple H. Bury that young talent player. We fade out from Randy Orton celebrating on the turnbuckle, and as soon as we do, the next shot is a briefcase hanging from the ring. Wait. <laughs> Sorry, hanging above the ring, but still. How the fuck did they get the briefcase up that fast? That's that's not a thing. I I smell shenanigans. So it's time for a new segment on WrestleMania Salvation called What Actually Happened? Bro. What actually happened in the live broadcast after doing some research was found to be a backstage skit where Josh Matthews is with Vicky Guerrera, Michelle McCool, Maris, Layla, and Alicia Fox. Vicky throws down the excuse me line a couple times, and then she calls Jillian Hall to come out and sing Simply the Best. I'm assuming, because the WWE never had the rights to Simply the Best, is why this segment was cut out. But then it turns into a Slim Jim commercial involving Santino Morella and Gene Oakland in a black dress. Not Santino in a black dress. Gene Oakland in a black dress. So if Santino doing drag at last year's WrestleMania wasn't bad enough, now we get like an 80-year-old guy in drag. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so maybe that also was a reason they decided to cut that out. Match number three, Money in the Bank, Kofi Kingston versus Jack Swagger versus Matt Hardy versus Drew McIntyre versus Kane versus Shelton Benjamin versus Dolph Ziggler versus Evan Bourne versus MVP versus Christian. Whoo, that's a lot of people. There's a 10-man a Money in the Bank. It's a mega money in the bank. Some quick notes about the entrances. Savannah was listed as the ring announcer. You probably won't recognize the name, but if you are a fan of Lucha Underground, you may know her as Black Lotus. Uh, Kofi's hairstyle on this night can only be described as Ray from Star Wars before Ray from Star Wars was a thing. MVP looks like he just stopped trying. Evan Bourne is for once in his life not on an acid trip tonight. At least I don't think so. Swagger is doing his ultimate warrior impression, beating his chest when he comes out. Shelton's here. So is big fat Matt Hardy. 
we get the introduce yourself to everyone, Dolph Ziggler. And I have just realized at this point, this means that the Spirit Squad did not make my timeline. Yes! We get a much younger, much skinnier, and much greener Drew McIntyre, who is the IC champ, by the way, so there's yet another title not defended at WrestleMania. Kane has a fucking black eye. It's not explained. And Christian comes out and is still pretty fucking over. Think he'll win? I doubt it. Michael Cole then puts over that every Money in the Bank cash-in has been successful. <laughs> Just give it a couple years. Now, with ten people in this match, this was a bit of a clusterfuck. But, here are some quick highlights. Kofi tried to run up the ladder to clothesline Kane, but Kane powerbombed him on said ladder. Sick. Evan Bourne hit the airborne shooting star press off the ladder onto Christian. Matt got tossed over the ladder and landed back first onto a horizontal ladder that was set up from the ropes to the first ladder. Kane literally ripped the ladder, like, in half. Like, he ripped one of the sides off its hinges. And then Kofi used each side as stilts. It was amazing. It was fucking amazing. Drew fell off the top of the ladder and got crotched on the top rope. And it looked like he really fucking landed crotch first. Christian got his hands on the briefcase for the second year in a row. But Swagger clocks him in the face with it so hard. The briefcase, that is. That Christian falls down to the mat and Jack Swagger grabs the briefcase. Mr. Money in the Bank. Jack Swagger? This Not the best match. But I'm not surprised with ten fucking people. Kind of makes sense. Also, it has come to my realization after doing a little bit of research that this is the last Money in the Bank at WrestleMania. Next up, we got our Hall of Fame Class of 2000. After a nice highlight video package from the previous night, The Fink introduces our inductees. First, we have Stu Hart, represented by his 5,000 kids. We have Wendy Richter, Mad Dog Vachon, Antonio Inoki, Bob Euchre as part of the Celebrity Wing, Gorgeous George, and finally, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, who I guess, by default, was the headliner? I mean, probably stateside he was the headliner. Probably the people in Japan were thinking Inoki was the headliner. Uh, Look, well-deserved on every one of their parts. I have no problem with any of the people who got into the Hall of Fame. Um, A little bit surprised they let Wendy Richter in, but, you know, maybe they made nice with her, even though Mula was still alive at this point. Match number four, the game, Triple H... Versus the newcomer, but still former WWE champion at this point, Sheamus. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, Sheamus legit burst onto the scene in 2009 and 2010, coming from the ECW brand and then dominating anybody who stepped in his way on the main roster. He did become WWE champion. 
He lost it at the Elimination Chamber because of Triple H, because Triple H pinned him in the chamber. So after the match, Sheamus beat him half to death. Now, Hunter accepts Sheamus's WrestleMania challenge, and he then says that he tried something similar when he burst onto the scene in 1996, and he challenged the Ultimate Warrior to a fight at WrestleMania 12. Hunter says he got his ass kicked, and Sheamus should be careful who he picks a fight with. Sheamus tells Triple H that he's going to make his name off of the game tonight. Sheamus enters first to the ring. Lobster hands and way, way, way too many limes accompany him. For those that get it, get it. Triple H then walks down to the ramp with absolutely no special entrance at all. No costume, no vehicle, no trapdoor from the stage, nothing. What did he get in a fucking fight with Steph this morning? The bell rings and Seamus starts by screaming at Triple H that he is the future. So Triple H slaps the white off his face. We then go into a pretty fast-paced brawl. Sheamus eventually slows down the tempo and gets a ton of heat on Hunter's lower back. I think that me and Jason discussed this last episode. Hunter as a babyface doesn't really work. But this is a hot fight, so I'm okay with it. Uh, Sheamus nails the bro kick, which at this point it's called the big boot. But I think someone else is already using that moniker. Uh, Triple H kicks out of it, though. And then he beats Sheamus with a pedigree. I'm not kidding, guys. It was like a seven-minute match. Your winner, Triple H. By the way, I don't know if Triple H was mailing it in for this WrestleMania, but this whole match seemed really paint by numbers. I mean, of course, Triple H went over, but it just it seemed like he was... Maybe he was mad that he was fighting Sheamus and he wasn't fighting for the title. Who knows what Hunter. We then go to a highlight package. Highlighting the feud of CM Punk and Rey Mysterio. Now this is an interesting point in CM Punk's career. Because not only is he a heel, he is the straight edge savior of the straight edge society. A group that preaches a sober and drug-free lifestyle pretty much by any means necessary. Now, this version of Punk was amazing, by the way. He tapped into that straight-edge persona that he used to use on the indies, where straight-edge means I'm better than you. And he took every opportunity he had to remind the crowd and his opponents of that. He also recruited people into his straight-edge religion, people like Luke Gallows and Serena. Now, one of the creepiest things they showed in this video leading up to WrestleMania was Ray was celebrating with his wife and his children his daughter's ninth birthday in the ring. For some reason. Maybe they were in San Diego. But I somehow doubt it. Ray was singing happy birthday to his nine-year-old daughter. Punk comes out. Picks a fight with Ray. 
Ray says he's not going to fight him in front of his family. Punk pretty much bitches him out. Ray leaves with his family. Punk then very, very creepily sings happy birthday to his nine-year-old daughter. Also, if Ray loses tonight, he has to join the Straight Edge Society. Match number five, CM Punk versus Ray Mysterio. Punk and the Straight Edge Society make their way to the ring. Punk cuts a very nice heel promo to start the match. Over 70,000 weak-minded individuals who think because they're so hopped up on hallucinogenic drugs that Rey Mysterio is a superhero. Over 70,000 people that think if they pop a pill or if they take a drink that somehow their problems will go away. Just like they think their superhero, Rey Mysterio, will make the monster go away. Except I am not a monster. I am a savior! And I can save Rey Mysterio! I can lead you all to a better place. And I will lead you all by example because I choose to be drug-free. I choose to be better than each and every single one of you. As I had said previously, straight edge means I'm better than you. Punk was a fucking sadistic cult leader at this point three years before Bray Wyatt would enter in the WWE. Rey Mysterio, however, still pretty over especially to the kids, and I'm sure his merch is still selling off the shelves. Ray comes out with a pretty sweet Avatar-inspired costume. I dig it, man. Pretty cool. Uh, the match is pretty high-paced. Uh, pretty high-impact, pretty fast-paced, and high-impact, not high-paced. Uh, Ray goes for the 619, but Serena jumps up on the apron and covers Punk up so Ray can't hit him. Ray's like, what the fuck? Seriously? Luke Gallows then tries to distract Ray on the other side. Uh, but Ray catches Punk charging at him and sends him into Gallows. Ray then hits the 619, followed by the big splash, for the win. Your winner, Ray Mysterio. Again, this was just another match on the card that seems like it went very, very quickly. Uh, the the card tonight had 10 matches. Not really typical for WrestleMania at this point. So I think they're just trying to fly through to get to the to the big things. But, yeah, they, these guys did not get much time for this match. Probably eight minutes. Next up, we get a match 13 years in the making. 13 years in the making... And probably 10 years too late. That's right, because Bret the Hitman Hart has returned to the WWE 13 years after the Montreal Screwjob, but also, and to me, more significantly, 12 years after the death of his youngest brother, Owen. Bret originally, however, returned to make peace, a sediment that would be shared by Shawn Michaels as they buried the hatchet in the ring on Raw. 
a sentiment that would not be shared by one Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Even though he tried to fake it, gave Brett a hug in the middle of the ring and then kicked him right in the family jewels. Oh, Vince, you bitter fucking asshole to the end. Brett then challenged Vince to a match at Mania, but Vince declined. So Brett fakes a leg injury by virtue of a car accident in order to lure Vince into a no-holds-barred match. In a perfect moment on Raw, after the contract is signed, Brett reveals his leg is fine. I enjoyed that segment on Raw. I enjoyed the build-up. <sighs> but for anybody who doesn't know or is unaware, Bret Hart, one of the best wrestlers in the 90s, was forced to retire fairly early in his career. Uh, I think the exact year was 2000, uh, due to a severe concussion that led to a stroke. So... Unfortunately, Brett isn't in the best shape. Not not like looking at him, like he's not fat or anything like that, but basically Brett can't take a bump. And that becomes pretty apparent. But we'll get to that. I'll give it its proper introduction. Match number six, Brett the Hitman Hart versus Vince McMahon. Brett, to his credit, gets a pretty loud ovation, and I think it's well-deserved. This man is returning to WrestleMania after, what, 13 years? Vince then comes out with a microphone, and of course puts himself over, before bringing out his hired guns for the night. Ah, you know Vince. He's always going to have a plan. Apparently Vince has paid off the entire Hart family. This includes the Hart Dynasty, which which has current active wrestlers Tyson Kidd, David Hart Smith, and Natalia. But also Brett's brothers and sisters, including British Bulldog's widow Diana Hart. In fact, Brett's older brother Bruce Hart, Bruce Hart of 1993 Survivor Series fame, gets in the ring and takes off his shirt to reveal a referee shirt. He gives Vince a hug before Brett grabs a mic and expresses his disbelief that his own family would turn their back on him for money. Or did they? Well, there's one thing I've learned from the Montreal screw job. That's that there's nothing sweeter than a good double cross. See the thing here, Vince? It's the Hart family. We're stronger than ever, and we, we're united as one tonight. They told me what you were trying to do, and we all agreed ahead of time. We all know about all your little tricks. 
tonight. This, your greatest creation of them all, WrestleMania. It's going to be forever remembered as, as the night that Brett screwed Vince. Hey, how about that? Vince got screwed. Brett gets in some punches, because that's kind of all he can do at this point, uh, before the Hart Dynasty beat Vince silly. Natalia gets in a slap across Vince's face, and then a top rope heart attack from Tyson Kidd to Vince. Brett then beats on Vince's knee. I seriously hope some of those shots connected. Vince tries to grab a crowbar... But Brett takes it away from him and beats Vince with it. Brett then goes for the sharpshooter but stops so he can beat Vince with the crowbar. David Hart Smith hand Brett, hands Brett a chair and Brett takes the chair and sits down. For like two minutes. Hey, he's fucking old, man. And, he, and he's a stroke victim. I don't blame him. He then wears out Vince with the chair. And I mean probably 56 chair shots I wish I was exaggerating Brett finally locks Vince in the sharpshooter and the crowd does pop huge and Bruce initially refuses to call for the bell even though Vince is tapping frantically but then does call for it and everybody celebrates all the hearts celebrate and Brett celebrates yay Bret Hart okay so here's the thing it was fun to see the Mr. McMahon character get his comeuppance. The problem is, it went on way, way too long. To the point where, like, you really started wondering, okay, who's coming out? Who's going to save Vince? Who's going to cost Brett the match? And instead, nobody did, which is fine, because I don't think anybody should have. But it... <sighs> I get what they were going for. This is 13 years in the making. It can't just be a quick beating. It has to be a long beating. But the problem is, when you punch somebody repeatedly, and then you hit them with a chair repeatedly, it's boring. They, they did the heart attack with the heart dynasty in the very beginning, and then after that, it was just the same move over and over and over again. I even think the crowd got bored. Because when they first thought Brett was going to put the sharpshooter on, they popped huge... And then when he actually put it on, it was kind of like a medium pop. They were like, oh, yay, I think he's finally going to do it now. <laughs> I would not have had a Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon match in 2010. But, yeah, you know, I get it. I get what they were trying to, to go for. Michael Cole then announces that WrestleMania 27 will be in Atlanta, Georgia. Can't wait for that. But we'll talk about that next episode. Justin Roberts then lies and says they have a record for University of Phoenix Stadium with an attendance of 72,219. Lies. Lies, 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 lies. We then get a highlight package of Babyface Edge winning the Rumble. Ugh. Who the fuck thought Babyface, Babyface Edge was a good idea? And gunning after his former partner, Chris Jericho, in the World Heavyweight title. Match number seven, World Heavyweight Championship, Jericho versus Edge. The Edge we get this year is kind of annoying. 
because they tried to give Edge a catchphrase. So fucking original. Heel Jericho comes out looking smug as all hell, and I approve. Edge comes out to a pretty good reaction. It was not like Kofi Kingston style pop, but it was decent. Now speaking of decent, this match is decent enough, but the real highlight is Heel Jericho yelling random things throughout the match. Not only does he demand the ref ask Edge if he quits while in a side headlock, but Jericho even tells him, I made somebody quit in a side headlock before, you stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> I appreciated that. Edge mounts a comeback and hits the Edgecution DDT, but Jericho kicks out. Jericho nails Edge with a top rope forearm to the back of the head and then goes for spear on Edge... But Edge gets him with a, boot right, with a boot right to the face. Edge then goes for the spear, but Jericho hits Edge with the code breaker, but only gets a two count. Jericho then goes to work on Edge's recently repaired Achilles tendon. He locks in the walls and then single leg crab on the injured leg, but Edge makes it to the ropes. Edge then hits a cactus clothesline to Jericho, and both guys spill to the outside. Jericho grabs the world title belt, but Edge grabs him by the hair and drags him into the ring. The ref tries to get the belt away, but gets knocked out by accident. Jericho uses the distraction to clock Edge in the head with the belt. He goes for the cover, but Edge kicks out. Barely. Jericho then hits him with a codebreaker and pins him clean in the middle of the ring. Your winner and still? Chris Jericho? Okay. I mean, why why hype up Edge and turn him into a babyface for that? You know, nothing like killing a babyface by having him lose clean in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania. And I understand that Jericho used the world title, but then have him pin him after the title shot to the head. Not have him kick out and then just get beat by the codebreaker. That was very Triple H Booker T-ish. Okay. Jericho tries to attack Edge after the match, but Edge snaps and spears Jericho from the announce table through the barricade. I gotta admit, the spear was pretty fucking cool. That being said, they turned Edge back into a heel very shortly after this. So, failed baby face run. Again, the spear through the barricade was pretty cool. Hey, speaking of cool... What the fuck happened to Carlito? Where, did, where the hell... Was he already released at this point? It's 2010. I, I thought Carlito was around for a little bit. I mean, Jesus, that was quick. We then get shown a highlight package from a pre-show battle royal. Oh. And way in the background you can see Carlito. Okay, so he's not released, but he's right at that threshold. Uh, this battle royal was so bad, Yoshitatsu won. So, maybe better off if Carlito wasn't in it. And I just would have forgotten about him. Match number eight. This is your in-between title piss break match. It's a ten-woman tag. Lay Cool, Alicia Fox, Maurice, 
and Vicky Guerrero versus Kelly Squared, Mickey James, Beth Phoenix, Eve Torres, and Gail Kim. Before the bell rings, Gail jumps over the top rope and quits the company. Oh, wait. Sorry. Not a battle royal. Totally different animal here. Uh, the faces beat up Vicky one by one until Michelle McCool hits a fucking Styles Clash on Kelly Kelly. I had forgotten she did that move. After that, everyone takes turns hitting their finisher until Vicky attempts to hit a splash on Kelly Kelly. I say attempts because Vicky landed on her feet off the second rope and then awkwardly pressed her stomach onto her. Uh, Vicky goes for the pin but doesn't exactly know how to pin somebody, so like Michelle McCool and Layla have to teach Vicky how to cover someone. And mercifully, the ref counts to three. Your winners, the heels. So, let's never talk about this match again. It was really bad. Next, we get a video package for the new Dave Batista versus the same old John Cena. Movie star Batista, before he was a movie star, mind you, is pissed that Cena is the face of the company and not him. Well, Dave, what do you want him to do exactly? Give me what I want! Is that what you want? Give me what I want! Is that what you want? Match number nine is the WWE Championship. Batista versus John Cena. Batista comes out to some pretty decent WrestleMania pyro. I'll give him that. John Cena, however, incorporates a performance from the U.S. Air Force Honor Guard Drill Team. Pretty fancy stuff. Perhaps if John Cena actually had served in the military at any point in his life, it would have made a tad more sense. But who am I to judge? I'm just some low-grade podcast host who's never served in the military either. Now this match is... slow. And kind of boring. This is why you don't put a guy like Batista and a guy like Cena in the ring against each other. They're not going to do anything exciting. This is why Cena and AJ was so amazing. You know, you literally had a Styles clash. Um, but Batista and Cena, it's like, the, especially in 2010, it's like watching generic wrestler number one versus generic wrestler number two. It's boring. To their credit or detriment, however you want to look at it, one thing I picked up on is that these two never actually went out to the floor. They kept the entire match in their ring. Again, credit or detriment, depending how you look at it. Uh, Cena actually kicks out of the Batista bomb. And then Batista kicks out of the AA. Because... Cena reverses another Batista bomb attempt and locks Batista in the STFU. Batista struggles for about six seconds before lightly, and I mean fucking lightly, tapping out. Your winner, and once again, WWE Champion, John Cena. Hey, good for John. That fucking match was kind of awful. I mean, John wasn't awful, but... Just... Nah. Anywho, let's get to the most anticipated rematch in WrestleMania history. 
As Jason and I discussed on the last episode of Salvation, HBK versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 was perhaps the greatest match in wrestling history. What could HBK and Taker do for an encore? Well, let's find out. In the video package highlighting the feud, we see a desperate Shawn Michaels trying everything he can to get a rematch, but Taker refuses. Taker refuses until Shawn costs Taker the World Heavyweight title at the Elimination Chamber. Taker then agrees to a match if Shawn Michaels will put his career on the line. So tonight, if Shawn Michaels loses, his career is over. A daunting thought, indeed. Especially for someone like me, who grew up watching Shawn Michaels. Yes, there was always Hulk Hogan. Of course, there was Hogan, there was the Warrior, there was Savage. But when I started watching wrestling in 1991, those guys were at the tail end. I mean, they were all all very exciting people. But I felt like my wrestling fandom started right when Michael's singles career was taking off. From the barbershop to the boyhood dream and everything since... The concept of Shawn Michaels retiring sent chills to my wrestling fandom core. Especially when I feel like I was spoiled. Because I had thought Shawn Michaels' career was over in 1998. After he had been away from the ring for four years. And when he came back in 2002... Every single time I saw Michaels perform or every single program he was in became better than the last one. Hence last year's match of the century between him and Taker. Just when you think Sean couldn't get any better, look what he did at WrestleMania 25. So now we're going to redo this. We're going to do this match again a year later. But if Sean loses, his career's over. Whew. Let's go. Match number 10. No DQ, no countout. Career versus streak. Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. Now, Michaels makes his way to the ring with a much more normal entrance than his entrance last year. Still gets a ton of pyro. But, you know, he doesn't descend from the ceiling. The commentators do a great job of stressing the possibility of this being Michael's last match. The crowd, to their credit, seems to have come alive for this one. And you can tell the difference. Like, yay, they kind of cheered when John Cena and Batista were fighting. But not really, because they were still doing the whole let's go Cena, Cena sucks at this point. But boy, was was there a turnaround when this match started. Uh, Speaking of coming alive... Undertaker ascends from the floor at the top of the ramp, much like he did last year. The dead man cometh, it's Wrestle Fucking Mania, streak on the line, and the career of the legendary Shawn Michaels. 
the table has been set. Despite the bone-chilling entrance, Sean's expression never changes. Not once. In fact, in an act of ultimate defiance, Sean gives Taker the throat-cut gesture before the bell rings, and Taker is livid. The bell rings as Taker lunges at Sean and beats the fucking crap out of him in the early goings of this match. Michaels counters continuously and focuses offense on Taker's left knee. At one point, Taker attempts the -the over-the-top rope dive, but Michaels slides back in the ring and clips his injured knee to prevent it. But despite Michaels' continued focus, when Taker strikes back, he does so epically, including a huge leg drop on the apron across Sean's throat and a thunderous chokeslam to which Sean, as only Sean can, sold the fuck out of. They continue to battle at a pace I can only describe as brutally intense. And Sean is able to lock Taker in an ankle lock, which I felt was a nice callback to his match at Angle at WrestleMania 21. Taker, however, gets the ropes and gets out. Michaels goes for a springboard moonsault, but Taker catches him and tombstones Sean on the floor. Yikes. After the medics attempt attempt to check on Michaels, uh, Taker gets fed up and pushes them inside, throws Michaels into the ring. He covers him, but Sean kicks out. Barely. Barely. Taker goes for the last ride, but Michaels counters with an X-Factor. He then goes for the elbow from the top rope, but Taker gets his knees up. Taker then locks in the Hell's Gate submission, but Michaels counters it into a pinning combination. Nice. Taker kicks out. They both get up at the exact same time, and Michaels fucking clocks him with a super kick. Somehow, Taker kicks out. Taker then hits Michaels with a thunderous last ride. But Michaels kicks out. Jesus Christ. Literally, what is it going to take? Seems like The Undertaker feels the same way, because he clears off the announce table. He goes to put Sean through the table with the last ride, but Michaels counters and lays out Taker with another super kick. Taker is now laid out on the announce table, and Sean then psychotically goes for a top rope moonsault through the table. Now at first, it looks like Michaels was off a little bit, because he lands right on Taker's legs, instead of landing on his torso. But the announcers do a good job of reminding the audience that was done purposely, as Taker then cannot physically get up. His knee is fucked, as the story of the match is told. So Sean did that precisely, and I thought that was a brilliant touch, because at first, like I said, it looked like he botched it. He didn't botch shit. Michaels then drags Taker into the ring, and he loads up and delivers a devastating super kick. 
I'm talking like he used to back in 96 when he used to, like, face Vader and Mankind and, and Bulldog and shit like that. One, two, and Taker kicks out. You can literally hear the entire shock of the crowd. Michaels goes for it again, but Taker sidesteps him and chokeslams him. No cover, however, as Taker goes down because of that knee. Taker drags Michaels to his feet, picks him up, and delivers a massive tombstone. Taker now goes for the cover, but the heartbreak kid kicks out. Taker stands over Michaels as Michaels tries to claw his way to his feet. Taker screams at Sean to stay down. But Sean gets to his feet and once again gives Taker the throat cut gesture. What a motherfucker till the end. And then to prove my point, he once again slaps the dead man across the face. An enraged Undertaker hits Michaels with a jumping tombstone and pins him for three. Your winner in 18 and 0, The Undertaker. But perhaps the bigger story is that the legendary career of Shawn Michaels. There is no way that Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker could have topped their match from the year before. But that didn't stop them from putting on an absolute classic. And if last year's match was as close to a perfect wrestling match as there could be, this year's match was exciting. It was filled with drama. It was epic. It was everything you want in a wrestling match. There's nothing wrong with this match. Was it as good as last year's? No, but only by the smallest of margins. Because this was still amazing. But it was also heartbreaking. As the dead man celebrates his win... It starts to sink in that Shawn Michaels' career is over. And then much to a lot of people's surprise, kayfabe-wise anyway, he actually helps Michaels up to his feet. They embrace, and the fans give them a standing ovation. The fans stay on their feet and pay tribute to Shawn. A true icon in every sense of the word, a showstopper that this business has never seen before and will never see again. Ever, ever again. 
we will never see another Shawn Michaels, and we for sure will never see Shawn Michaels wrestle again. No amount of money could ever convince Shawn to come out of retirement at this point. In the States. This WrestleMania, a little bit of a roller coaster feel to it, in my opinion. It brought you up, it brought you down, it brought you side to side, and then it brought you up. I thought the main event was really, really good. Uh, there were some duds. There were some really bad moments in this, this WrestleMania. Vicky Guerrero comes to mind. Uh, match of the night, obviously, if you can't tell already, was Taker Michaels 2. Worst match of the night, and I know I don't do this often, but typically it's for Battle Royals or Playboy Pillow Fights. Uh, worst match of the night was the women's 10-man tag. I know, I know, I said we wouldn't talk about it ever again. But it was so fucking awful. Everything was awful. The match was sloppy. The moves were horrible. Vicky was just annoying, and it was just fucking stupid, and... Blah. Thank you so much for listening to WrestleMania Salvation. Next time on the show, we head to Hotlanta for what could be the worst WrestleMania in history. But we'll see how that plays out. I'm sure either way we'll have some fun with it. Follow us on Twitter at WrestleMania Sal. Follow the flagship at Rundown Network. In fact, visit our website at rundownwrestling.com where you can vote in our hottest female tournament and help us determine the hottest female in the WWE. Also, check out all of our great shows on the Rundown Network, such as NXT Revisited, Hurry Up and Cruiserweight, Making the Grade, Nitromania, Twat Magic, and of course, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Quickly approaching its 400th episode. Now, this has become a point in the podcast where I might throw an inspirational quote at you. I don't have anything like that for this episode, but I will say this. Twitter has shown me one thing this week. Twitter has shown me that if Sonic the Hedgehog smoked weed, he would be Matt Riddle. And I will see your ass next time.